Uh, Tuesday morning to you. We want to welcome you to Real Talk. I'm Ryan Jesperson, and thanks for being with us. Uh, 8.30 here on The Nose. Coming up in just a moment, uh, we're going to introduce you to, I know he's, he's, he's going to dislike this introduction. Uh, he won't prefer this introduction, uh, but the fact of the matter is this guy's a damn rock star in the city of Edmonton. Uh, ICU doctor, nephrologist, Dr. Darren Markland. You may know him as Dr. Dagley on Twitter. I'm going to ask him about his social media. Uh, he, he's literally just left the hospital uh he's he's cycled over here to our studio and he's going to be joining us in just a second i I suspect that the fresh air i suspect that the exercise may be playing some role in in him achieving his own mental balance when it comes to his mental health uh dr markland's going to give us uh an unflinching look into alberta's icus as we see case numbers continue to spike also want to give you a heads up coming up in about 45 minutes we're going to be talking to professor timothy caulfield uh, out of the University of Alberta. He's got a brand new book uh, set to drop. Uh, he wants us to relax, damn it. That's the title of the book, and we're going to be talking to him about public trust. Now, we're going to be talking to him about vaccines. We're going to be talking to him about what he's hoping or expecting to hear today uh, from the Alberta government, as I think the rest of Canada has a keen eye right now on this province, wondering what we're going to do as, as, as one of the laggards when it comes to mandatory mask bylaws and the unfortunate leader when it comes to COVID-19 statistics. Uh, first, I want to introduce you to one of our supporters. You probably, if you yesterday took a look at RyanJesperson.com, saw the list of sponsors. It's easy to find on our website. The fact of the matter is we wouldn't be doing this show without the support of our sponsors, and we're grateful to have our presenting sponsor, Bitcoin Solutions, on board for launch. You know, they're poised to become the first publicly traded Bitcoin ATM company in the world. And they're based right here in Edmonton. It's the fastest and safest way to buy Bitcoin, which, by the way, is trading at an all-time high right now. You can check out all the details on the sponsor page at ryanjesperson.com. Real Talk starts now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. Well, for the second day in a row, the province of Alberta announcing more than 1,500 new cases of COVID-19. As a matter of fact, yesterday's numbers show 1,549 new cases in the province of Alberta. That's after 1,584 the day before. More than 60 Albertans at last count were in intensive care in hospitals across the province. That's exactly where our first guest This morning serves the general public. Dr. Darren Markland is a nephrologist and an ICU doctor at the Royal Alexandra Hospital. Doctor, I'll I'll ask you to get nice and close to that microphone as we officially welcome you here to, to Real Talk. Thanks for making time for us and welcome to the show. Uh, it's really nice to be back, and I just want to congratulate you on a great studio. I even recognize the artwork here. Yeah, you you know Jay Bigham, our oh, artist. I'm a huge fan. Jay uh, is is the artist. He's he's the the brilliance behind Earth Sky Art. You can actually find a link on our website at ryanjesperson.com. I I yesterday and Mayor Iveson sat where you're sitting. By the way, and I want to say these things. I, I want to kind of spell these out so people have confidence in our show that we're doing the right things. Uh, the microphone sock has been replaced since the mayor was in here. We've we've wiped down all of the surfaces. But but as the mayor sat there in that seat yesterday and he had that painting behind him, I just I, I found myself almost. I mean, yeah, it's great what the mayor has to say, but I was almost 
mesmerized by the art. It's stunning. Now I just have one question. Did you take the mayor's temperature the way you took my temperature? Did I not take your temperature properly? <laughs> well, okay, well. It's, it's nerve-wracking to have a physician evaluating how I'm taking how, how What did I do right and wrong? People can learn right now. No, you absolutely did it right. The first thing you did is you didn't use a rectal thermometer, so I want to thank you for <laughs> okay. that. Well, that's, yeah, that's more my metaphor to the, to the art of the interview. It just depends on who's sitting in the seat there. But, yeah, the point-and-shoot digital thermometer. You actually made an interesting comment, and, and doctor, I, I want to let our audience know so they can – kind of plan out their morning here. We're grateful that people are joining us streaming live on YouTube. People are listening on Mixler Audio. Some people are going to be checking this podcast out later. It's, it's been interesting to see the community grow in day number one. But for the people listening live right now, as we get set to get our day started, you said something as you sat down in the seat that I thought was particularly interesting. Before we talk about ICUs, before we talk about case surges, you made a comment about transmission and, and what probably matters most. I know you're going to tell us to be as diligent as possible, but what matters most in trying to be personally responsible for stopping or, or calling the spread? Interesting uh, the way you put that. First of all, I mean, I think that encapsulates all the problems that we've had with media is that our knowledge of, of coronavirus has evolved over the last eight, nine months. And so initially we knew very little about the virus. We extrapolated from other viruses. And so uh, it was very important to wear initially wash your hands, socially distance. But as we learn more, we learned how important masking was because these viruses spread by droplets, but there was a thought that maybe there was aerosolization. And with further research, knowledge, and the help of our epidemiologi epidemiological colleagues, we now know that ventilation is really important and probably uh, really underestimated. And so aerosol, aerosolization is part of the reason why we have these super spreading events. So if you're going to focus your energy, do all the stuff before. The masks are probably way more important than we thought. Aerosolization, ventilation, really important too. Uh, but, you know, don't worry about soaping down your lettuce as much. Uh, transmission from contact and surfaces is less of a concern. Uh, my ID colleagues will tell you, still wash your hands. Wash them a lot. I do. Uh, but yeah, mass and ventilation, really important. Did we, uh, did we miss, is it too late? I mean, I mean, not too late, uh, you know, in, in the sense that society's about to collapse, but, but did we miss a boat with regards to some of the spike we're seeing right now and what these implications are going to be? I mean, we see, what was the number I just told you? 1,549 new cases yesterday, 1,584 cases the day before. We're not going to know, correct me if I'm wrong here, we're not going to know if those 1,549 people are going to require hospitalization until five or eight or 12 days from now, right? I mean, do we have another wave coming that's about to slam our hospitals? Oh, the shells are in the air, right? The first one was launched over Thanksgiving, uh, and it hit us, and we saw the numbers. Uh, and then the next shell was, um, was Halloween. Unfortunately, it hasn't been as big a hit. Now, this is simple mass. This is not hard stuff. You take the exponential growth, you see the numbers, and then you look at our rate of hospitalization and our ICU admissions, and we can really quickly figure out how fast this is going to happen. So how does a physician like yourself, uh, how are you and your colleagues bracing for this? And if, and if I'm using language that's, that's turning this into too much of a thing, let me know. But I suspect, if anything, I'm going to be guilty of underestimating the challenges you're facing this morning. So part of we got really lucky with the first wave, but we had great planning. All of the plans have been in place. We have a surge plan. We have ventilators. We have space. 
Well, we don't have our healthcare professionals. So nine months out, we've been burning through people. And we've been burning through them for a lot of reasons. Uh, a lot are tired uh, and have gone off on sick leave. Uh, a lot of them are catching the virus because they have children who bring it home. Uh, and since we've lost contact tracing, we don't even know where it's coming from. So the rate of physicians and healthcare workers getting the virus has gone up because we can't predict where it's coming from. Uh, one of the promises I want to make to our listening audience is, is when it's appropriate to infuse politics into a story, we will unflinchingly. And when it's inappropriate or irrelevant to infuse politics into a story, then I want to keep the politics out of it. I want to have reasonable, n- not intentionally sensational conversations. When you talk about contact tracing, the obvious question I need to ask you is about Alberta's contact tracing app versus the federal contact tracing app. And I think Albertans have learned that for an investment of about a million dollars and swimming against the stream of the rest of the country, we've, we've had, what, 19 cases of contact tracing that we can directly attribute to our app, which clearly isn't working. Now, whether or not that's political stubbornness, uh, you know, Jason Nixon, Governor House Leader, calling it the Trudeau tracing app, obviously implying or imposing his own politics into this. But, but is this app part of the reason why we don't have contact tracing or, or is the federal app even doing that well? Is contact tracing harder than members of the general public actually realize? We've been doing contact tracing for a century. That's how we dealt with uh, the first pandemic, the influenza 1918 flu, the Spanish flu. There are layers that help you do this, but in the end, it's all about resources and managing them. So you need people who know what they're doing. You need people who can contact people. The federal app would have been a brilliant adjunct to this because it worked. Uh, It's been dissected by independent parties who know about privacy and encryption technology, and it works. Uh, It's not sending any uh, data to the federal government. It's not tracking you. You are anonymized by a number. This would be something that is part of the solution. But more contact tracers early on, definitely. Any contract tracing system will be overwhelmed when the numbers of infections exceed resources. And that's where we were two weeks ago. So the most important part of this is foresight and leadership. What are you expecting or what are you hoping to hear from the Premier today? Expecting and hoping are very cognitively dissonant right now. Um, I'm expecting a series of directed measures. Uh, Unfortunately, since we've lost contact tracing, uh, we have no data to actually do these directed measures that are rumored. Uh, We passed that point probably two, three weeks ago. What the only solution when a fire is raging out of control is no longer putting out hot spots, but to water bomb from above. And what does that look like? I mean, people, it it seems to me, I I talked to, as you know, Mayor Don Iveson yesterday, and you can see there's almost a well, I mean, the guy's calm, cool, and collected, but there's almost a visceral reaction with any politician these days when you use the word lockdown, right? Mm-hmm. Because they understand that there are, and this is no small thing, business owners, parents, medical professionals, et cetera. I mean, lockdown has means different things for different people. Some people are, are, are clinging on to their business uh, with their fingertips white, and, and we don't make light of that, and we're going to be talking about that in, in days to come. But others are begging for something to be done. Sam, on short notice, are you able to get me Haley Wickenheiser's tweet? Have you seen this, Doctor? This is this is one of Canada's all-time greatest athletes, as far as I'm concerned. Certainly a well-respected Canadian. I, I, I can't remember Haley Wickenheiser getting political in past. Not to say she hasn't, but, but what about this? CTV Edmonton reporting that Alberta, the sole province without a mask mandate, asks Haley Wickenheiser, a household name, why? 
She says, this is insanity. It's simple. It's easy to do. It's no skin off anyone's back. Plus, we know it reduces spread and saves lives and can reduce this impending form of lockdown. See, she gets it. Haley Wickenheiser says, whatever that'll look like, leaders lead. What do you make of that? It's bang on. Uh, she she nails the she nails it. Uh, with leadership comes prosperity. This idea of economy economy with no basis for support from a socialist perspe- perspective doesn't work. Uh, we're in war, and during war, the only economies that thrive are the black markets. What are the black markets in this case? Uh, healthcare that comes from a non publicly funded system. Um, people's buying hydro, uh, hydroxychloroquine uh, off of off of the internet. People self-medicating. People going to other places than hospitals because they don't feel the hospitals are safe anymore. That's what happens when you instill poor leadership. People become uncertain and they look for advice. That look in Don Iveson's eyes was dread because. He knows he needs to step up where the provincial government hasn't provided leadership. We have people who will never follow the rules. We have people who will follow them blindly. But the majority of Albertans fit in the middle. And with good leadership and good advice, they will do the right thing. We've got uh, listeners and viewers right now chiming in using the hashtag on Twitter, RealTalkRJ. That's what we monitored to find out the questions you want to ask our guests. We want you to have a direct line and to play a direct role in these conversations. So I encourage you to tweet at me uh, using the hashtag RealTalkRJ. You know, nobody's calling you Dr. Darren Markland on Twitter. No. That's not going to surprise you at all. Everybody's letting us know, you know, Julie Rohr and Chris Sturwald and Nancy Kirkpatrick and Kathleen Smith and Scarlett Bjornsson and everybody else that's listening right now says Dr. Dagley's on the show. Uh, you're, you're known uh, in big part. You're known for a lot of things. Uh, your work in the ICUs and in your medical career, obviously, your passion for cycling and your commitment to it. And I want to talk to you about that and your social media activity and, and, and your transparency on social media. Uh, Look at this just from a few days ago. It's Saturday night. A friendly reminder you tweeted that we're here for you through this pandemic. We'd also appreciate it, you wrote. If you pitched in a bit and wore a mask, practiced social distancing, and lobbied your MLA for a lockdown, we are only human, and there's only so many of us. Uh, That mask you've got on there, the the, the protective, you know, the PPE that that you're wearing, I I suppose uh, does what it can to keep you safe. But you're using words like trenches and war and and fires raging out of control. Is this some insight into where your head's at when you walk through the doors of that ICU? So that picture has a backstory, and I, I can't tell a lot of the things that I do just because of patient confidentiality. But the reason why I am dressed up like that is I'm going to put a tube into somebody's airway, and they are so sick. They are so sick, not because they haven't been well looked after, not because they weren't following the rules. They were doing all the right things. It's just they got infected from someone who didn't know they were infected. And so moments after putting that tube in, an entire team of nurses, respiratory therapists, nutritionists descended upon this person. We flip them on their stomach because they're so sick. We can't make the ventilators push in enough air. We had to put in special lines because their blood pressure dropped because they were working so hard for days prior to this. They had been sick for a long time, and they utterly collapsed upon that because they had nothing left. And this person wasn't that old. This person didn't have all of these comorbidities that we use to justify not looking after people. 
they weren't that different from anybody in this room. And they didn't get a fair shot because they didn't know where this infection came from. They'd worn a mask. It wasn't their fault that they had immunosuppression. Uh, and there we are in that moment doing incredibly invasive things to try to save their life. Now, what what sort of... Uh, uh, I, I... Am I allowed to ask you about the fate of that patient? Or I don't want to, I mean, I understand there's confidentiality, obviously. Did that patient survive as far as you know? I can't tell you specifics. People would figure things out. Let me ask you this. What sort of an impact, more long-term, does medical sustenance like that have? I mean, the tubes down the throat and the pressure on the lungs and the pressure on the body. Sure, somebody may recover, so to speak, from COVID-19 to clear up an ICU bed, but what sort of a journey is the average person looking like post-hospitalization? So very early on, we, we've learned that there's kind of two paths that happen with COVID. Um, there's the path where you just kind of get a viral cold, an upper respiratory tract infection, like any other virus. And people with underlying lung disease can sometimes get a bronchitis, they get short of breath, they might need some oxygen. And when it's severe, we'll even bring them in the ICU to give them enhanced care because, you know, it could tip the balance. And often it does. And they get better. Five days later, they're good. This is the COVID you hear out here that ain't that bad. I went to the hospital, I got some oxygen, I got better. I don't feel so good and it's taken me a long time to get up to speed. Then there is the other COVID, the COVID that runs rampant, the stuff that infects every single organ, the people who get so sick that their lungs get inflamed, their kidneys stop working, their liver gets inflamed, their heart effectively acts like it's had a heart attack. Those are the people that, despite all the care that they get on the ward, when they come to us, they need more. They need machines to keep them alive. Those people spend a long time in the ICU. If you're old, you spend a long time in the ICU because you're frail and you have this. And if you're young, you spend a long time in the ICU as well because it took a lot for you to get there. Your tank is empty. This is a disease that literally takes years off of your life when you're done. And so if you're 20 and you get it and you lose a couple years, you probably won't notice. But if you're 40 or 50, you're going to feel like you're 60 or 70 when we're done with you. We're talking to Dr. Darren Markland, uh, literally just off a shift. What are, what are the shifts looking like at the Royal Alex right now? Like when you show up to work, you obviously worked through the night tonight. And, and I suspect it's not, uh, you know, you talk to a firefighter, for example, they can have busy shifts where they're, they're pedal to the metal the entire time, or they might have a quiet night. I suspect there aren't a lot of quiet nights in the ICU right now. So I came off of I came off of a clinical shift, so I wasn't in the ICU. Okay. I, I came off last week from a week of ICU service, and that was very very busy. Um, there's no buffer in the system anymore. We're not at the point where we have spread out of the ICU, but there's nothing easy left. We got we literally taken all the easy cases, and what remains now are those super sick COVID patients. You know, an average ICU stay is between three or four days. You come in, you get resuscitated. If there's a surgery, it gets fixed. Those, they're not there anymore. The th admissions now are these patients who will be there for weeks, which means with no buffer in the system, it's like driving with no shock absorbers. Every bump is going to hurt us. Yeah. More with Dr. Markland uh, in just a second, including your questions. Uh, we've got Travis and Julie queued up here on Twitter using the hashtag RealTalkRJ. If you have a question for 
Dr. Dagley on social media, Dr. Darren Markland. I want you to submit that now, right now. I want to let you know that we're excited to be partnering up with Local Waste as we launch Real Talk this week. Uh, they're an independent. I mean, they, hey, listen, we have. I've always had an appreciation, you know, for for small, medium, and and large businesses that have started with the grassroots and most especially started locally, employing local people supporting other local businesses that's local waste 25 years of experience going up against the big multinational garbage corporations they want your business so much so they want you to call them directly they want the the owners names on the spot so chris and lauren labos here are putting it out to you that at 780-242-9746 or check out the sponsors link on our website ryanjesperson.com you can learn more about what they do and uh, show them some love at localwaste.ca coming up on Friday the first edition of Trash Talk brought to you by Local Waste you know what we're basing that can you tell I'm a little excited we're basing it on your emails to talk at ryanjesperson.com if what you're hearing from Dr. Markland is driving you nuts if you've got something you've got to get off your chest send me an email you might see it featured on Trash Talk that's coming up on Friday Travis Watts uh, watching or listening into the show this morning many different platforms that people are taking in this interview with Dr. Darren Markland. He, he wonders if you could give us an idea of what things are like in the hospital right now. He says, not just the ICU, but how is this affecting all the units? I think that's an intuitive question. Absolutely, absolutely. And I don't know if anyone's been in the hospital lately. It's been a different place since this started. And the whole idea of a hospital is to bring people together and you know families to come in and help people get through their illnesses. And very early on, we took that out of the equation. And I think that made people sicker. We've tried to reintroduce that, but now as the numbers are going up, we are having to clamp down on visitors. Uh, when you walk in, you look like you're coming through a minimum security prison. You get screened, you ask, get, you ask questions, you're given PPE. We are opening up more COVID units now. Uh, we had one, uh, we now have three. We have special physicians who live in those units and look after the patients, and they do so exceptionally well. Uh, but yeah, we're spreading out through the hospital. As we get more numbers too, we're getting more outbreaks. Uh, and that is a statistical probability. Uh, when the tinder's dry and you make more sparks, you're going to get more fires. And those outbreaks are hurting us. It'd be a difficult job, I think, at any time to be the health minister. Uh, I think it'd be more difficult, I think, when you've lost the confidence of physicians and when you've, for the most part, I think, lost the confidence of the general public. Uh, if you were the health minister right now. You're talking about outbreaks. When I think of outbreaks, I think of long-term care centers. I think of I think of the so-called greatest generation. I think of the people, uh, the septuagenarians, the octogenarians that, that in many cases, and I hate to put it this way, but this is the fact that maybe we need to be slapped in the face with language like this every once in a while. These are people that are suffering and dying alone. Family members trying to FaceTime with them to tearfully say goodbye. I mean, it's heartbreaking if you were the health minister and you had to make a tough call and you were going to worry about what would be popular or unpopular with the electorate. How would you manage seniors care right now? Oh, man, you just that is a good question. I. Well, the problem is resources, isn't it? Uh, we, we warehouse a lot of our sickest people uh, and give them, you know, I won't say substandard care, but I think of what will happen to the ICU when it's overwhelmed and we'll have to source out intensive care physicians with people with less qualifications. And that's kind of what's happening in long-term care. 
Um, these are people with increasing needs, and uh, we send it out to the lowest bidder. On uh, Twitter, uh, Julie Cusick, uh, Sam, are we still on the air? Just making sure we still good here. I know that our audio is going to keep streaming our, here. Uh, yeah, but, it looks uh, like our audio okay. is definitely on the good. air. Uh, right. I'm not seeing video. Okay, right now, let's so make sure just that, get that we, uh, rebooted. I'm yeah, so sorry. To yeah, our don't sweat it. Keep it going here. Uh, if our guests can continue to hear us, if they're streaming on audio, then they'll continue to hear this interview. And of course, if you're listening to Real Talk right now on the podcast, number one, you're witnessing our first technical glitch, and, <laughs> and number two, it's no big deal because this interview is uh, quite frankly uninterrupted so I'm not going to worry about that but I, I do want to wait uh, for a second to ask uh, Julie Cusick's question because I suspect that Julie is probably watching us on our live YouTube feed and I want to make sure that she has a chance to see her question uh, answered. Let me ask you about cycling and, and your commitment to cycling. This this is obviously it's 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 a, it's what you do. It's yeah. uh, it's it's a lifestyle for you. You cycle 12 months a year. You cycle in, in my as far as I can tell uh, you've got a pretty good lay of the land when it comes to getting around the city of Edmonton. Why is that so important to you? I think it's because health is important to me. So I believe in the bigger picture of health. I'm, a, I'm someone that you come to when you're at the end of the road. And I realized that years ago that um, sometimes I get involved when it's too late. I can't make significant changes. But if I advocate to make the city a healthier place... I think I can make my patients better. Uh, if people are physically active by accident because the city is designed to make them active, they'll be more fit. And then there'll be fewer complications. There'll be less diabetes, less dementia. There'll be more health. And I won't have to do as much of what I do at the end of the line. Uh, wanna, we're not quite sure yet if we did experience, well, we know we experienced a technical difficulty. We don't know if the video feed had dropped off or not. We're going to figure that out once we go off air. But, but if you are streaming us live on YouTube right now and watching, we'd like to welcome you back. Dr. <laughs> we, Darren Markland, our yeah, guest. We so never we dropped do? our audio, but we, we are back on live. Okay. With, uh, so well, Sam, and this, this is actually good for us to know and good for us to figure out and good for you to know at home is that, that if our video feed does drop out and, and we're going to ensure that that doesn't happen again, or we'll do our best to prevent it. It, it looks like our Mixler audio feed continued through that so you can always listen to us live via ryanjesperson.com uh, as well we're hanging out with dr darren markland julie cusick's listening into the program uh using the hashtag real talk rj she says as we look to a low carbon future i also wonder about uh, covid and the impact of things like retrofitting buildings to net zero and required changes in ventilation she says i'd be curious to know if there's a dual benefit do you have any insight on that that's a really interesting question you got well when you know Julie, you know that it's always going to come from left field. But I'm prepared for Julie because I've <laughs> I've I've eaten with her. Um, <laughs> there you go. Yes, I first of all, air is really important with COVID. And when you talk about net zero homes, um, air air is a really important part of that too. So air exchangers uh, are going to be with uh, with HEPA filters are going to be really important aspects for both public and private health. So I think that's helpful. Um, one of the one of the things that I get little panic attacks about is just how much uh, consumables we're using in the time of COVID. All the things that I've championed for a sustainable future, we've kind of put on hold. So everything comes in single serving packages and yeah. everything's disposable. Man, I hope we can get back to a more sustainable future once we get through this. I'm I'm I I can't even. I mean, we are conditioned, aren't we? I mean, it's been, it's been almost, well, not a year, I guess. It's been about eight months. I, th I think sort of for me, March 11th, March 12th was when everything started to go sideways uh, here in Alberta anyway. Uh, but I but I think, and, and it's interesting, I was watching my little man 
Uh, we have him, you know, his hockey's shut down, obviously. He didn't play soccer this summer, and he's he's kicking off kindergarten, learning at home, and my wife's doing an amazing job with him with that. Other families are making different decisions, and, and that's totally fine. People are doing what works for them. The one bit of normalcy that we've been able to have is, is why it's still able to go to his music lesson. Yeah. And I was watching him last night behind plexiglass, right, separated. Everything's been disinfected, and there he is, you know, playing the snare drum with a mask on, and this, this little five-year-old kid... It has totally normalized wearing a mask around, but the the image of it actually, if you can remove yourself from where we're at right now, is is it's striking, Darren, isn't it? And and I think you know we were watching the Queen's Gambit on TV the other night. I've started watching that series, and I saw you know people came together and were holding hands, and I had this like it was jarring to see people in a circle holding hands. I wonder how, how this will be hardwired into us. And, and, and I mean, geez, we're not going to start talking about commercial real estate and working from home and all the other impacts of right. this, but, but the long-term societal impacts of this, I think will be significant. See, this is where you need my wife. She's a developmental pediatrician. And so she looks after kids who uh, go to school and sometimes have a little trouble fitting in. And she is seeing, she, her biggest concern is that this is a crucial time for children with developing brains to make social connections. And that in the absence of that, there could be serious problems with just civility and uh, social skills down the line. Uh, which is why it is, you know, I'm so torn when we talk about schools and transmissions. Um, it's very clear uh, that we are transmitting this virus through schools, and uh, I think teachers uh, should be given huge props. Everyone says I'm a hero, but I think it's the teachers who are out there with even less knowledge in PPE. But to fix that, we need to get our community numbers back down again. I, I asked for a half hour of your time, and, and I'm already going to... Can I keep you a little long? Do you have somewhere you have to be right away? You can have me as long as your listeners well, want me. My Twitter's going nuts right now. Uh, the listeners and the viewers want you here. Uh, we have a date with uh, Timothy Caulfield coming up in about 15 minutes. I'd love if you could hang out with us. I mean, I'm just getting started uh, as, as far as this is concerned. Um, quickly, I want to uh, introduce you to another one of uh, the sponsors that are joining us on this journey here with Real Talk. I, I told you about my relationship with Sherwood Dodge. Uh, it was 10 years ago, uh, my wife and I, when we first walked in and, and talked to Scott and his team there and bought our very first Jeep Grand Cherokee. We've still got it. And now I'm also, Scott's got me into 2020 Jeep Grand Cherokee from St. Albert Dodge. And uh, we're a Jeep family. And we love these SUVs. This is right after I talked to Darren Markland about cycling. I'll tell you what, I'll go for a bike ride with you sometime. But if you ever want to get out to the mountains, you got to get with me in this Jeep Grand Cherokee. Absolutely. Yeah, we've got we've, we've got heated seats, heated steering wheel. The thing has a dial I can turn to snow when it snows, and it keeps me on the road better than anything else. Uh, plus, they love the customer service side of things. Uh, you talk to them about it. They're not all just about the sales. They're about the customer service as well as Sherwood and St. Albert Dodge. Hey, Sam, uh, it's, it's 9 o'clock right now. As a matter of fact, I'm just about 30 seconds off. Why don't, why don't we take a look at at the headlines uh this is i mean these are the stories i think that maybe you need to make sure that you're paying attention to here here are the headlines this morning 
Well, we've been talking about this with Dr. Darren Markland. Alberta's uh, COVID numbers are, uh, we're facing outbreaks on an unprecedented scale. 1,549 new cases Monday, 1,584 the day before. Almost the exact same numbers as Ontario with about a third of the population. To put that into perspective, Alberta's Premier uh, will be speaking today after joining a cabinet committee yesterday afternoon to review recommendations from Alberta's Chief Medical Officer of Health, Dr. Dina Hinshaw. Now, let's take a look at some of this uh, polling. As reported in the Globe and Mail, Alberta Health Services, worst case scenario, shows 129 people with COVID-19 in ICUs by December 7th. The best case, or let's best case is zero. The optimistic perspective on this, the projection, 61. That would be one fewer than Sunday's number. In other words, optimism suggests we'd be able to hold the line by December 7th. In a recent poll, as reported by the CBC, this of interest, 81% of Albertans 81 percent, four out of five, support a province-wide mask mandate. Just 61 percent would approve of a lockdown between two to four weeks. So so you have higher public support, doctor, 20 uh, percent higher uh, for a mask mandate as opposed to a lockdown. Is, is that is that surprising to you or, or is that pretty obvious? Oh, no, that's yeah. We both have children, Ryan. Uh, you know, when you set boundaries um, and you have a fallback plan, uh, masks um, would have worked uh, months ago if it was a universal mandate, uh, but we're well past that. Uh, with these numbers, with this amount of infectivity and the fact that our contact tracing has gone down, uh, it's going to take more than that. I think just it's human nature to bargain. We, uh, Sam, I'm going to ask you to, to tee up another photo that I sent you. This is another photo that you sent out uh, on your Twitter. Again, you can follow Dr. Markland on Twitter at Dr. Dagley. I'm going to be tweeting out the Twitter handles of, of all of our guests every morning, so it makes it easy for you to find them as if you're not following this guy already. You, you say one of our nurses took this candid shot. You say you absolutely loved it because it demonstrates everything that makes the Royal Alexandra's ICU a remarkable place during this trying time. Collaboration, support. Uh, you take a look at you know the team efforts to improve the health of, of all of our patients. When you when you first saw that photo, what did, what you, what did it invoke in you? Pride. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the Alec is a special hospital. Um, we have s- such a supportive environment, and we built that from the ground up. And uh, the ICU, I think, is very special as well. Uh, you these nurses and occupational therapists and physiotherapists. I mean, you have to see their commitment. Initially, nobody knew how effective this was, but nobody shirked their duties. Every we, We're getting these patients up and walking them, for goodness sakes. We're looking after families. We have a nurse whose job is to make sure that all the families are informed and figure out how we can get them in to see patients, given the current laws and isolation. It's just such a family-centered and patient-centered unit. And, and those those feelings, uh, we've got more resources than the rest of the hospital. We have the ability to do that, at least now. But that mantra exists in the entire hospital. We always champion the underdog at the ALEC. How many years have you been in practice? Oh, every day is today for me. Like 15? Uh, 20? I think about 15 years. 15 years? Yeah. And because I know that, that you guys go to school for like 48 years or something like that. It's <laughs> well, that double fellowship <laughs> and failing a couple of exams yeah. made it longer. Yeah, so. there you go. Uh, but uh, yeah, it, it appears okay uh, as though perhaps our, our video is down again. So Sam's going to work on that. It means that we're going to have people streaming with us on, on Mixler right now and, and the audio will keep going. We're going to get that up as soon as possible again with Dr. Darren Markland. In, in the course of your, let's call it a 15-year career so far, um, how, how did the challenges that you're facing 
happening right now? How does this all stack up with her? I mean, I, you know, people are talking, you're talking about influenza in 1918, right? There's, there's not a physician alive right now that saw that. Um, how would you characterize this? All things considered closest we had to this was uh, 2009 when we had H1N1, the novel influenza. And uh, that really stretched us. Uh, but it's nothing like this. Uh, we never, we expanded into phase two surge, uh, but the projections were never like this. We had a vaccine for it. And uh, when things got bad, Albertans again stepped up and got vaccinated. So we were able to beat this down. Right now, we have no vaccine, but man, do we have prospects. And that's the other thing that I just, I keep wanting people to know. We did this right the first time. People hunkered down and we didn't have a solution. We didn't even know a vaccine would work at that time, but we still did the right thing. We're going to uh, talk to uh, Timothy Caulfield about vaccines. Uh, let me ask you, there, there's, there's sort of three, I think, right now that have been certainly prominent in the news. We talked yesterday about the one out of Britain that's showing, a, I think, a 70% efficacy, et cetera, et cetera. People are uh, you know, calling it very exciting developments. Still, uh, public health officials, politicians warning us it could be months mm-hmm. uh, before it's available. And even then, uh, you know, potentially more than a year before some people might have access to it. Um, there, there are, now, there are the anti-vaxxers. And then, and then there's the, the vaccine hesitant. Correct. And, and I've been a little surprised to see some polling that suggests like three to four people out of 10 may have some vaccine hesitance. These aren't, uh, quite frankly, lunatics with tinfoil hats on. These are people that just have concerns and they want to do what's right for them and for their loved ones. What's your message to the vaccine hesitant? I will live stream my vaccination even if they have to give it to me in my butt. Okay. I have no concerns. I mean, that might, if we turn that into a charitable event, that might actually, that might actually be something. I have absolutely no concerns. Uh, you know, the science behind these vaccines is solid. Now, there hasn't been publication on the phase three trials, so we can't go in and peer review it. So look at it from a point of view of objectivity. Uh, and all of these companies are companies. I'm sure that they're using their press releases to their stock's benefit. Um, but that doesn't mean that the science hasn't been ironclad. Like, these are huge studies uh, with independent checks. Several of them had been stopped to investigate adverse reactions, and there weren't any. And you have three separate independent companies coming up with the same results, which tells you that the science at the core of this stuff is solid. Uh, Joanne Uchek's listening in. I sure appreciate her uh, being a part of our viewing audience uh, this morning. She, she wants me to ask you about what she calls your brilliant and revealing Twitter poll. Uh, this was back on November 12th. I told you in a DM, I told you in a private message that I actually couldn't. It was the first Twitter poll that I've contemplated and not voted on, not participated in because I couldn't make the decision. And that said everything to me. You gave us a choice. By the way, 36,000 votes on your poll, which is wild. I know. You're an ICU doctor. You say you have one ICU bed left. Three patients need it. A woman with two children is bleeding to death from complications of childbirth. A young man has crashed his car and crushed his chest. And an ICU nurse can no longer breathe on her own. Who do you choose? Now, I know you're not going to betray patient confidentiality, but are these loosely based on real experiences that you've had? Or, or where? how did this come about? Oh, absolutely. So these are typical patients that we will see in a week. And last week, I had several of them. 
Um, we're, we're a maternity hospital. We do women's health. We are a trauma center. And we are also involved, obviously, with COVID patients. This was a thought experiment. Uh, this is an extreme case thought experiment. And if you're a budding medical student, uh, you might get this question. And it, there is no right answer to this question. This is about figuring out ethics. This is about f uh, melding ethics with resource management, with social justice, with autonomy. And the reason why this got so many people uh, emotionally entangled is I took away the easy choices. There was nobody with an untreatable cancer. There was no one who was 90 years old and at the end of their life. Yeah. These are the people that we will have to make these decisions upon once we've decided that those people no longer get to come to ICU because there's not enough resources for them to get the benefit. Uh, our, our listening audience, uh, I think, might be interested if they didn't participate in the poll to hear how it worked out. Um, you may suspect, and I put this in front of some friends, uh, and and it, it doesn't look good. It doesn't work out well if the public's making the call. If and, and by the way, I think I think that uh, healthcare by plebiscite would be a terrible idea. I don't like the idea of putting these choices to the general public. But the 23 year old trauma victim, the young man in the car accident, doesn't doesn't look good for him. Yeah. Perhaps people lack sympathy. But eight percent of respondents out of your 36,000 plus respondents, eight percent. Uh, thought that, that the trauma victim deserves that ICU bed. Now, here's where it got interesting. I don't know if for you, if you forecasted this coming or not, about 18% wanted to see the nurse in that ICU bed. About 75% of respondents, three quarters of them, thought that the mom should be there. What decision would you have made or how would you have managed that? I mean, you outlined it in your Twitter thread, but for those that haven't seen it. So there's two scenarios. One, if you have the resources, um, and the other, if, you, if you're triaging. And that's opposite end of the spectrum. So when you looked at that, there was a lot of emotional connection um, and a lot of blame. So the trauma victim got booted out because there was this thought that it was their own fault, right? Uh, the, the mother obviously won because there was an emotional entanglement with her children that she had to be there to, to look after her kids. Uh, as an ICU physician, those things don't factor in. What factors in is who will benefit the most from our care. And I got a segment of physicians who said, oh, well, you, you have flex in the system. You can do things. You can transfer the patient. That's not what this was about. This was when your system is collapsing, what choice do you make? And that was a tough one. In my mind, um, I was torn between the trauma victim and I was torn between the mom because the mom I could fix really quickly uh, and she would benefit the most. She would have the most sure course to get out. The trauma victim, I'm not so sure. They would have taken a lot longer to get better. But once they did, they would be fine. He would be a young man. The nurse was a harder call because if she was sick enough to go to ICU at that age, um, there was a very good chance that she would be a long time in the ICU and use resources for a very long time. Resources that we would not have somebody younger with less disease was coming in. You know, uh, when it comes to public health, I know that education is so important. And you almost wonder if, you know, I mean, a poll like yours has great value. Uh, you know, 2,000 people retweet it. Like I said, thousands vote on it. Um, but, you know, we, we, we've we've seen, and, and this, I don't think that there's a, a generational disconnect when it comes to non-compliance or apathy in COVID. I mean, there's, you know, there's, there's like, you know, 21 year olds that are all gathering and partying, but there's also like 65 and 70 year olds. You know, I, I heard a story the other day of a, a gentleman in his sixties that walked into a business next to an empty warehouse without a mask on and asked if he and his buddies could use the empty warehouse space to play pickleball because their facility had been shut down. It's not to, like, 
geez, uh, it's not just young people. It's not just older people. But the fact of the matter is you have to wonder if a scenario, like a picture like the one that you painted might resonate with a young person that says, uh, most people my age will recover from COVID, right? Most people my age, this isn't a big deal. Um, but what happens if you're in a motor vehicle accident or, or what happens if you, you attempt to backflip at Marmot Basin and you break your back and you need to, right? I mean, the, the, the bigger picture about a strain on the system, maybe we need to be talking more about that. I mean, I hate that people have to be convinced uh, to take relatively easy measures to give other people a fighting chance, but maybe we need to do more of that. Do we need to paint more pictures? I, education is important, and this is one of the reasons why I'm on social media. It's probably the other reason why I should get a TikTok account, because I, Twitter is, has its own silos. Um, this is the population where it's spreading, and I don't blame them. These are people who don't have a lot of money, who have to work, who have to go to school, have marginal supports, and probably a lot of student debt. Uh, they're not doing this mostly on purpose uh and then every so often they're tired and they say ah what's a beer at the bar gonna do uh well what it does is it causes accidents uh and without direct leadership to to make people follow the rules uh human nature prevails and uh we're pretty bloody lazy when it comes down to it yeah uh, Sandra Azakar's watching the program this morning from Friends of Medicare. Uh, she tweets at us. Uh, she says, you know, Dr. Markland and our public health care frontline workers are what has mitigated COVID's tragic outcomes. We can't thank them enough, but that's not enough as a society. Sandra says leaders need to lead and we all need to act in support of the collective well-being. Uh, Donna Perot is is watching us this morning. You, you answered, you touched on this earlier in the interview, Doctor, and we're getting set to wrap here. I'm so grateful you've spent some extra time with us. Timothy Caulfield's set to go. He's in the bullpen right now, awesome. bullpen warming up. So we're going to talk about his new book and we're going to pick up where you and I are leaving off. Uh, but you touched on this earlier. Let me ask you again for those that are just tuning in here on Real Talk, whether you're streaming our audio at Mixler or watching us live on YouTube or, or whether you're just checking out this podcast later in the day asks Donna we need to make tough decisions uh, for a measured amount of time if you were premier what would you be announcing today to help us stop the spread what measures would be most effective that from Donna ladies and gentlemen we are in an in a medical emergency uh, and we will be closing schools and uh, shuttering the majority of businesses and we will be doing this for a period of time until we are able to reestablish our contact tracing. In the interim, if you are screened, you will get a social worker to call you, a value to supports, which we will be getting because we know that in four months there will be a vaccine available. And so we can budget for this. Yeah. And it's up to the politicians to find out the fiscal implications of that. We're, we're going to have conversations about business and social supports and different levels of government, but, but that's not your problem. It doesn't have to be your problem. Like it's not Rosemary Barton's job to teach Premier Brian Pallister how to manage the pandemic in Manitoba yesterday, that weird interview. I'm not sure if you saw that. The, the Premier accused her of not coming up with any good ideas on what to do. Uh, it's not your job to figure out the economics. You're a medical professional, and you bring to the table what you bring to the table. Uh, JBM tweets in to let us know that he will donate right now uh, to see you get your vaccine in the butt. Uh, so I wonder if that might be, it, it would be the first full moon on Real Talk. <laughs> but per, perhaps we have a perhaps we have an opportunity here to, to maybe do something kind of cool. In all seriousness, though, uh, Dr. Darren Markland, I am 
so grateful and our listening audience is so grateful when you get home from from your cycle ride home and 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 you review this hashtag you can read all these comments for yourself people are grateful for what you and your team are doing at the royal alexandra hospital thanks for making time for us today it's a pleasure i hope to see some people out on the trails and uh, want to also thank some of the businesses who've taken leadership too uh, in these difficult times who would you like to thank we can do it. This is, this is, you know, I used to have to worry about this type of stuff. Like, what if they're not a sponsor? What if they're not? Uh, who do you want to recognize? Pick there, one. Pick there, one or two. There's been a bunch out there. Like, Northern Chicken, right? Like, this guy keeps keeps texting me and trying to drop chicken off to, to my nurses. Uh, and, you know, his staff, he's been protecting them the whole time. He had a positive. He shut his business down for a week to do the right thing. We shouldn't have to donate money to the guy. He should automatically be supported with income because he's doing the right thing. That, those are the real heroes. All right. And, and and it doesn't hurt that they have the best fried chicken in It's Canada. good chicken. It's too. good chicken, too. <laughs> Dr. Darren Markland, hey, man, if you can have 4% body fat or whatever you have and still celebrate their Dorito mac and cheese and their fried chicken, that's a good day for me, buddy. <laughs> that's a good day for me. All right, doctor, go rest up and thank you. We appreciate everything that you're doing. Uh, Timothy Caulfield's coming up here literally in one minute. I uh, want to introduce you to another one of our supporters this morning, and and we're really grateful to have them here along for the ride. Our friends at Friesen Brothers, I told you yesterday we love to head out to the stores in Stony Plain and, and Fort Saskatchewan. And it was amazing to hear from those of you that are listening in from Southern Alberta and other parts of the province saying, well, what about the Friesen Brothers in our neck of the woods? It reiterated to me the community connection that Friesen Brothers have. And, and, and if you're a, a regular there, uh, I don't need to tell you about the work that their Red Seal chefs can do. But this Christmas, it's going to be a little bit different, I know, for everybody, uh, whether it's a family gathering of two or maybe your immediate family unit is six or seven or eight. If you'd rather hang out with them, you know, decorating the tree, putting up the lights as opposed to stressing about the turkey, why not let the team at Friesen Brothers, their Red Seal chefs, get that meal prepared for you with fresh turkey, Alberta-grown produce, their world-famous sourdough and more. You'll find Friesen Brothers across the province of Alberta and soon in Edmonton, Alberta-grown and Alberta-owned. I've been looking forward to this interview for a long time, and I'm thrilled that he's able to uh, make himself available here in week number one of Real Talk. Uh, this guy, the Canada Research Chair in Health Law and Policy at the University of Alberta, the author of several bestsellers, including one of my favorite books is Gwyneth Paltrow, Wrong About Everything. His most recent book out December 1st is Relax, Damn It, A User's Guide to the Age of Anxiety. You may have seen his Netflix show as well. It's a real pleasure to welcome to the program Timothy Caulfield. Uh, Timothy, welcome to Real Talk. This is your debut. This is pretty exciting for me. Oh, thanks for having me on. I'm thrilled I'm on early days. <laughs> so, uh, Really appreciate the invite. Yeah, I've just spent about 45 minutes uh, talking to Dr. Darren Markland, whose face just lit up uh, when I told him that, that you were going to be picking up where he was leaving off. And we talked a little bit about vaccines. Uh, you're not, I, I'm not sure if you would prefer to be referred to as a myth buster, Tim, but you're sure a straight talker when it comes to things like vaccine hesitance, anti-vaxxers. You and I have spoken many times about that. Where's your head at right now with regards to some of the news that you're seeing on the vaccine development front? And, and what you think the implications will be for the general public. Yeah, so, so we're following this story really closely, uh, obviously. Um, you know, and in fact, we're, we're watching how, how this is being represented in the public sphere at, at the Institute. So I'm sure Darren mentioned this too. On, on the one side, really good news, right? Really good news. Now we have to see the, the clinical trial results. We have to really have some peer review, independent assessment uh, of the data. 
But look, uh, from what we heard from the major vaccine initiatives, fantastic news uh, about efficacy and fantastic news also about adverse events. And I know that's really important to, to the general public. So that's, I think that's the good news. And Ryan, also, I think um, how it how it's unfolding, I think, is good news too. You know, they, I think everyone recognizes there's a lot of scrutiny here, uh, so both the scientific community and the regulators recognize the need for transparency, the need for honesty. Uh, also, so that's also good news. Okay, so let's go let's go to the I'll call it frustrating news, uh, and that is the the existence of this of vaccination hesitancy. And uh, so, if you look at the data. Uh, it's pretty bad. It's pretty bad. You know, it's, there's some indication, Ryan, that it's getting better, and I think that's a result of of the the data from uh, the the vaccine trials. You know, we're hearing about this 90, 95 percent efficacy, possibly. Uh, so people are, are 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 turning around a little bit. But let me just give you one example, Ryan. So in in July, Angus Reid did a survey, and uh, only only 46 percent of Canadians said they would get the vaccine right away. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Others said they might get it later, right? Uh, um, and and then they redid that survey in I think it was September, mid September, and that was down to 39 percent said they'd get it right away. Uh, we are in the middle of a pandemic, you guys. This is what it looks like without a vaccine, right? This is what it looks like. This is an advertisement for how valuable vaccines are. Uh, so. Look, I recognize that there's a lot going on here. There's the issues about public trust, about the speed that these vaccines are being created. Uh, they're hearing about problems in the in the U.S. around uh, the CDC and the FDA and, and political interference. That's eroding trust. So I, I get all that. And I think we need to listen to the public about those concerns. But I, despite all of that, I, I, it is depressing to see uh, these low, these low numbers. Now, as I said earlier, they're coming up a little bit, Ryan. You know, uh, and I think that's a direct result of, of the good uh, trials. But there's the other, other really important thing, and this is something that we work on really close uh, a lot at the institute, is the impact of misinformation yeah. on on vaccination hesitancy. There was a big study out of um, the UK. Um, Heidi Larson's group did this, so, and it's a really good research group. That found, you know, basically, you know, intuitively, this makes sense, but it's good to have the data that that this misinformation about vaccines is having a direct impact on people's intention to get the vaccine. So there's, and and I talked about this with Dr. Markland uh, just a few minutes before you joined us. I think I think that there's, you know, can I say at least two groups of people, and and there's probably hundreds of, uh, you know, others because this is a nuanced conversation, but. You know, Timothy, you have the the anti-vaxxers. You know, you and I have spoken before about you know people who who have a young child in in an advanced uh, and and devastating form of meningitis that would treat it with horseradish and mustard. I mean, there's those idiots, right? And, and then there are the four out of ten or five out of ten people that are reasonable and smart and they care very much about their families and 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 they're simply worried. Um, about, like you said, the timeline of the vaccine. They want to make sure that they don't rush into anything. These aren't quacks. These aren't people that don't trust science for the most part. Uh, these are people that just want the best for their families, but they're a little bit nervous because everybody's tensions are elevated right now. What do you say to the vaccine hesitant, not the anti-vaxxers? I'm almost done trying to talk to the anti-vaxxers. What about the vaccine hesitant? And Ryan, you're right. I think, you know, it's, it's, there are probably, as you said, more than three, everyone sits on a continuum really. Right. And, and you have these hardcore anti-vaxxers at, at one end. Um, and, and research tells us 
we're not going to change their minds, right? So you're probably right not to focus on them. And that's, that's just good advice for our, our psychological health. In fact, World Health Organization has said, rule number one, uh, focus on the general public, right? Because it just takes so much energy to try to change the minds of these individuals that are hardcore anti-vaxxers, because this is part of who they are, right? It's part of their personal identity. Um, and I also think that the other point you make is really important. Most of these people who are hesitant, they're just trying to make, they're just trying to make the right decision. But unfortunately, we know, and, and the study that just came out from the UK highlights this, that the rhetoric that's emanating from the anti-vaxxers is creating, is one of the reasons that we have this hesitancy, right? So, th so these anti-vaxxers are having an impact uh, on, on this community. So what I say to these people, uh, are, you know, to those who are hesitant about the COVID, about the COVID vaccine, is that remember that it still has to go through regulatory approval, right? Yes, they're, you know, they're asking for expedited approval, but this still has to be approved by the FDA and Health Canada. And also remember that an independent group of scientists, so it's not like, you know, as often as portrayed, it's not the pharmaceutical companies make this decision. It's not the pharmaceutical companies that, that are going to provide the conclusive evidence. It's, the evidence is, it has to be reviewed by an independent body, and that happens in both Canada and, and the United States and in other jurisdictions. So they still have to go through that review process. Also remember that they are doing these clinical trials, and they're relatively large, and we're going to have a good, a rel, you, know, you know, tens of thousands of people, a, a, rel, a relatively good sense of, of, of how safe and effective uh, these, these vaccines are. In addition to that, Ryan, we're going to have post-surveillance, um, post uh, post-market surveillance, and, you know, often you hear the anti-vaxxers say, oh, you know, these are all the risks and adverse events associated with, with vaccines that we don't hear about. That's just not true. You know, you can go and you can go to the Public Health Agency of Canada and look at the adverse events that happen. And, and serious adverse events are incredibly rare. Ryan, we're talking one out of 100,000, one out of a million, that, those kind of ratios, right? Um, and so you can look at those adverse uh, events and, and, and so I think that, that yes, there are risks associated. It's, you know, it's a lie to say there's not risks because it's an intervention, but those risks are rare and the upside, the upside is so great. And the last thing I'll say, I know I'm going on for a bit, but this is an important question. The last thing I think we need to recognize is that all of these researchers around the world that are working on this vaccine, they can draw on the history, right? They can draw on the history of vaccine. We have vaccines, we have some sense of, of what the possible adverse events might be. Uh, you know, and, and they're, they, they're drawing on that. And the other thing that's happening with the COVID, people say, why is it happening so fast? Well, there really has been a remarkable international collaboration with this, right? So, they, you know, this is really an, an amazing scientific achievement. Now, I do think we, we need to wait and see the data, you know, and see the clinical trials and get that independent assessment. But all signs are looking good. We're talking to Timothy Caulfield. Let me be really clear about something. Uh, the only reason that we would be in a rush this morning to wrap up our conversation is if you had to go somewhere. Uh, <laughs> we're not beholden to any schedule. And if an interview goes long, an interview goes long. So I don't care. I have I have the host of the, the hit Netflix series, A User's Guide to Cheating Death. I have the author of the brand new book, Relax, Damn It, with me. So I don't care. I'll stay here all day, buddy. Uh, but, but Timothy, let me ask you to hang tight just for one quick second because we are coming up to 930 and I want to get to the headlines in just a second. First, though, I want to recognize another partner that's making it possible for us to launch this show, to launch Real Talk and bring you uninterrupted, real and meaningful conversations every single day. The Real Talk studio is powered by Westworld Computers, and we're really excited to have this family-owned business 
leading off with us from day one, before day one, quite frankly, and all the way through. So Sam's uh, computer station, uh, which looks like the cockpit of a brand new Boeing 767, is powered by uh, those beautiful computers. I'm right now checking our Real Talk RJ hashtag on a beautiful new 13-inch iPad that I'm loving. All of this part of our ongoing relationship. It's not just a sales relationship, but it's an ongoing relationship with the team at Westworld Computers. Go talk to Daryl and his team there. It's independently owned in Western Canada for more than 40 years. Sam, let's take a quick look at the headlines. Let's take a quick look at what people need to know before we get back to our conversation with Timothy Caulfield. You know that Alberta's Premier is going to be speaking to Albertans today. Let's get to that news. Well, COVID-19 patients in Alberta's ICUs are trending towards doubling over the next two weeks, and Premier Jason Kenney, after a cabinet committee meeting yesterday to review recommendations from Dr. Dina Hinshaw, Alberta's chief medical officer of health, will address the province today. Alberta Health Services releasing worst case scenario numbers as reported in the Globe and Mail. 129 people with COVID-19 could be in ICUs. That's what the numbers are showing if we track on the path we're at right now. The optimistic projection would be 61 Albertans in ICUs, which is right about where we're at right now, just over 60. So that gives you an idea of what we're looking at. What are the polls saying right now? In a recent poll reported by the CBC, four out of five of us, 81% of Albertans support a province-wide mask mandate, just 61% approve of a lockdown of 14 to 28 days. I wonder what you feel about this. Uh, I don't ask the question rhetorically. I want to know. Use the hashtag RealTalkRJ and let me know where you're at. Plus, Sam, can you tee up that that video for me? You know, we say that we're going to talk news, politics, and pop culture here on the show. We're going to talk about the things that you're talking about, and, and we know that that's not always politics. And we know that you could probably use a break from some of the ominous but important headlines around COVID-19. Did you happen to see the local gal win it all last night? When it comes to pop culture, this is what's leading the headlines this morning. How about this? An amazing performance by Caitlin Bristow last night on Dancing with the Stars. That's right. The Leduc, Alberta, born and raised star, a reality television participant and podcast host winning the Mirror Ball. Uh, Caitlin doing an amazing job last night uh, along uh, with her partner, Artem, and they were just absolutely stunning through the 11 weeks. But ultimately, the judges last night uh, determining, uh, well, quite frankly, one of the best dances they said that they've ever seen. And that means that Caitlin Bristow, Carrie Ananaba, by the way, saying that this is one of the top three dances they've ever seen all time on Dancing with the Stars. Some of you fans of, you know, the Bachelor franchise or Dancing with the Stars may not have known. I mean, you probably did. That Caitlin was a local gal, and so Alberta, I think, gets to claim a tiny little bit of that victory. Our sincere congratulations to her. We know that this was an important season for her as she dedicated uh, much of her performance to uh, her dear childhood friend, Lindsay, who she lost in a motor vehicle accident. An emotional and meaningful performance last night by Caitlin Bristow and all of Alberta cheering for her. Uh, Timothy Caulfield is our guest here on episode two of Real Talk on this Tuesday morning. You talked about public trust. And obviously, it goes without saying public trust is important when it comes to the foundations of, of, of health care provision, right? Especially when you start talking about things like vaccines. I've never seen medicine 
so politicized. Uh, we look back, I mean, to, to some of the, quite frankly, racial undertones around some of the criticism of Canada's uh, chief health officer, Dr. Theresa Tam. Uh, certainly, Dr. Dina Hinshaw in, in a nearly impossible position here as the chief medical officer of health uh, seems to be facing shots from all sides. She's either doing too much or, or not doing enough. How would you characterize the environment right now in the context of public trust in medicine? It's it's incredible and 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 no surprise, Ryan. It's complex too, right? And if you look if if you look to the United States and when you talk political uh, politicization and polarization, you know that's where you got to start, right? Uh, it is absolutely incredible. So there have been studies that they've done in the United States to really highlight the degree of polarization down there around COVID. There's this really fascinating study that showed very graphically how Democrats and Republicans just talk and think about COVID completely differently, right? And, and, and of course, uh, that means that politicians are going to try to leverage, try to leverage that, that reality that just further polarizes the discussion. It's kind of a worst case scenario, right? Now in Canada, in Canada, it started out pretty good. And there were studies that a, poli a, a political scientist did a study that found that in Canada, you know, April, March, April, we weren't as politicized. You know, we were actually coming together as a community. But I, I, I'm sure you're feeling this, Ryan. As, as the pandemic has rolled on, it has become, it has become more politicized. And, and ideology plays a huge role here. Now, who would have ever guessed, Ryan, that hydroxychloroquine, a pharmaceutical, would emerge as a an ideological flag right you know if you believe it works you're you're right wing and if you think it doesn't work you're left who would ever have guessed that you know that hydroxychloroquine could play that role and now of course masks are, are also are also playing that role and and what's one of the things that's very interesting uh ryan is that studies have shown that it, using ideological language like choice and freedom and liberty and consent unfortunately, unfortunately, is an effective strategy for sort of circumventing the, the science, right? People just think about the ideology that aligns with their belief system and they don't think about, they don't think about the, the science. And, and studies have shown that it's worked with GMOs, it's worked with climate change, it's worked with things like raw milk, it's worked with vaccines. You see that kind of language when all the sort of the deniers use it. And unfortunately, Ryan, it, it works. So how do you, I mean, how do you, I know how you combat it, Timothy Caulfield. You, you dedicate your life to it. Uh, you know, you, you, you write a number of books. You push out uh, a television series that is picked up by the biggest provider in the world on Netflix. And, and you do interviews like this uh, with advocacy. But what does the average person do? I mean, you know, maybe some of us breathing a sigh of relief. I'm not saying us, me in particular, but... Members of our viewing and listening audience today or those checking this out on the podcast later, probably grateful that racist Uncle Larry's not going to be there for Christmas dinner. They're not going to have to deal with Uncle Larry's BS about some of the research that he's been doing on Facebook about COVID-19. But generally speaking, public discourse, I think, is hit an all time low. Uh, you know, yesterday uh, the, the audience was so so kind about our launch here on the show, but but somebody uh, wished me a quick death by COVID nineteen. So you have that flip side too. Public discourse isn't always where we'd like it to be. What would you say to those kindred spirits that are watching you here today, listening to you here today, and wanting to make an impact in their own small circle? Well, I, first of all, I think one of the great things—I don't know the great—I won't say the great things. One of the Silver linings, I think, of, of this crisis is the growing recognition of the need to fight misinformation. So I think 
there's this fantastic community growing in Canada. You know, the go science community, I like to say, that, that's growing uh, in, in Canada that, that really is trying to counter the misinformation. And that's, that's fantastic. Um, the second thing is, and we touched on this already, we're not gonna change the minds of those hardcore deniers. So if you have your crazy uncle uh, come in, you know, don't waste your energy trying to change this person's mind, but do listen to them. Because you know, I always find it sort of enlightening. I've gotten into some pretty nasty discussions. I know you do all the time, Ryan. And it is interesting to hear their, these perspectives. You know, where are they getting the information? You know, why, why do they hold these views? You know, I think that's valuable. But, but research tells, the good news, the good news is research tells us that the debunking does work. It may not feel like it works. It may not feel like, it, especially because it never, almost never works in the, more, in the moment, right? No one ever says, you know, Tim, I think you're right. That's never happened. <laughs> right um, but it does work. And so what you want to do is you do want to point to the good science right and in go to these you know trusted sources get the good science and and highlight what the scientific consensus is and i think that's really important because there's often evidence pointing in different directions you always say yeah i know there's all these studies out there but here's what the body of evidence says on this topic you know masks is a good example of that right here's what the body of evidence says about the value of masks yes i know there's conflicting studies but here's what here's what the consensus is then highlight what the rhetorical tricks are that are used to, to push the misinformation. You know, note that this is, they're just relying on an anecdote. They're misrepresenting the actual risks. This is a conspiracy theory. You know, you do those two things and it actually does have an impact. The other really important thing to do, and I slip up on this sometimes, right, is, is be nice. <laughs> be nice, be authentic, uh, be humble. And, and it can be hard to do those things because it is so frustrating. But evidence tells us if you do that, uh, you're more you're going to be more more credible. I think that's really important. And the other thing uh, that research tells us works is use the same strategy the deniers use to get stuff across. So use narratives. You know, tell dramatic stories. And we're starting to see that with COVID. You know, people talking about the consequences of COVID. That does matter. You know, and and you know, I always say creativity wins. Let's use those strategies, you know, the same strategies that are used to push that, you know, that those horrible document documentaries like Plandemic and uh, use those research tells us that if you use creative strategies to get across the, the good science, it really does does work. And, and then, you know, lastly, I'll say even when you're talking to your crazy uncle, remember, you're not going to change their mind. It's the general audience. That's that uh, the general public is your audience. You know, always think that even if you're if you're talking about your family. Uh, or, or we're having a conversation like we are today, Ryan. Always remember, general public, not the hardcore deniers. You know, Tim, we've we've been uh, starting to workshop some some ideas on on swag for the show, and we're going to be doing mugs, and we're going to be doing T-shirts and things like that. They'll ultimately become available. And and I've just scribbled down here what I think could be almost a tagline for the show: be nice, be authentic, be humble. I mean, if if we applied that, what you just what you just did there off the cuff if we applied those three principles or if we made that our checklist for how we interact with people in any context about anything imagine the impact it would have to be nice to be authentic and to be humble you're right and it sounds you know me well ryan i'm a hardcore science geek right and this almost sounds new agey <laughs> but there's actually evidence to back it up there's evidence to back this up you know if you are authentic you know, they did, there was a study they did with scientists. And, you know, if you're just a talking head and, and you're just spewing out data, uh, it doesn't get traction. 
But if you talk about your research and why this, you're passionate about this area and, 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 you know, and the uncertainty, you know, this is a tough area of science. I'm not really sure, but this is what our evidence is showing. You're more likely to be viewed as credible. And, and, and Ryan, I think some of these public health authorities that have had such an impact uh, across Canada, across the world, part of the reason is because they are being authentic and they're being honest and you can see their passion for their, their field. And that matters. And I think that resonates. And, and the wonderful thing is there are stories to tell here and there, uh, and there are wonderful storytellers out there. Uh, including you. Uh, I appreciate Chris Fisher chiming in. He's watching us this morning. I think he's streaming it live on YouTube. He may be listening on Mixler as well via RyanJesperson.com. He says, listening now to Tim Caulfield with Jesperson is a good and healthy way to start the day. These are informative and engaging uh, professionals that we need. Tell us about this new book. Uh, first of all, the cover design, stunning as always, almost like you've done this before. Uh, no doubt destined to be another bestseller. The book is uh, set for release, and I know that people are going to be excited to check it out December 1st. Relax, damn it, a user's guide to the age of anxiety. Uh, you probably could have called this the age of anxiety before COVID, let alone now. What was the impetus for the book? You know, I, I love the cover, by the way, if I may say. <laughs> I, I'm a coffee fanatic, and I didn't know that was coming because I talk about coffee in the book, so I was pretty thrilled. Uh, the 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 gimmick i'll put it that way you know is it's uh it's a day of decisions you know from when you wake up to when you go to sleep at night and i analyze all of the forces that influence the decisions that we make you know the the fear-mongering hence the title right uh the misinformation uh the politicization and, and i try to make the point that these forces impact the little decisions that we make every day you know when we when we should wake up do you drink coffee do you step on a scale uh, how you park your car. Uh, and I really try to use that, uh, you know, I try to have fun with it too, um, but really try to emphasize how all of these forces shape um, our, our daily lives and cause more anxiety than we, than we really need. You know, we really can relax, damn it, most often. And uh, I try to really get a, give a sense of how, you know, there are often science-informed answers that, that we can turn to that are, are much more, um, I'll say, relaxing than often portrayed. Okay, because we do have the luxury of time here, I want to actually follow up on a on a few of the quick hooks that you put out there for us. So, so should we drink coffee in the morning? I'm going to tell you, no matter what you tell us, Tim, <laughs> I'm going to keep drinking coffee in the morning. I've planted my flag there, but but I but I'm open minded on some of the other stuff, like stepping on the scale. I I can't remember the last time that it put me in a good mood, and I'm curious to know uh, how the way we park our car influence or mitigates any anxiety we might feel why don't we start with coffee yes drink coffee <laughs> so I, I use coffee throughout the book you know i kind of joke about it because i am a little bit of a a, a coffee aholic is that a word uh it's, it, but it's a good example of how there's this twisted science out there I, I don't know if you remember ryan it used to be viewed as a bad thing everyone's supposed to quit coffee and now the evidence is coffee in general is pretty good for you and sometimes it's even hyped as a as being almost like an elixir uh, and the reality is somewhere in the middle, right? You know, it's it's probably good for you, uh, but probably not bad for you. So again, just relax, and if you enjoy it, go ahead, go ahead and drink it. 
Okay, what about stepping on the scale? Do you now you're a you're a fit guy. I know that you, you pay close attention to your health, so maybe you love stepping on the scale. I, I think the average person probably doesn't love it. The, the batteries go out in the digital scale, and you kind of go, oh, I mean, it's it's so hard to get the, the the back of the panel off to change the battery. Maybe we'll just maybe we'll you know, and and who has nine volts available? Any who even buys C cell batteries anymore? Anyway, well, but do we really need the scale in the bathroom? Is that a good accountability tool, or should we smash our scales? So that that's a great smasher scales. You know, I talk about that because you know if you if you go uh, online, uh, you can find a million people talking about throwing out your scale, smasher scale, and you know that's one of the reasons I, I I picked on it. And it's a really good example of of a topic where the science is 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 actually supports doing it. You know, if you're talking about trying to maintain your weight, um, it is actually can be an effective tool. But it's one of those things that has to work for you. There is some evidence for particular groups, like um, you know, young adults, teenagers. Probably not a great idea, right? But if you're trying to maintain a healthy weight, uh, it can be an effective tool. But it's just become demonized, uh, and and we really have to worry about weight bias and how we portray people. You know, we don't want people to feel guilty about that number. So uh, it's a really good example of how there is this really interesting body of evidence that's often, often mis, uh, misinformed. So the bottom line is, if it works for you, uh, use it. If it really freaks you out, you know, try another strategy. But it is, science tells us, it can be an effective tool to maintain a healthy weight. And parking. We all come in different shapes and sizes. There's lots of different healthy weights. Well, yeah, oh, absolutely, 100%. Um, and, and there's different ways to park your car. Uh, I, I, you know, I live near some folks that, that I, I admire them, uh, as I see them pull in and, and, and parallel parks so beautifully, it's a work of art. I see other people that back into spots and I know that they have their own reputations. Uh, people like to show park, you know, their big trucks and maybe take two spots to make sure nobody puts a ding in the door. Cause pickups are like 90 grand now, but what does the way we park say about us and how does that impact maybe our anxiety level or how we prepare ourselves to be successful through a day? Oh my gosh, you teed this up perfectly, right? <laughs> you really did. It's like you and you have not read the book, right? You teed it up perfectly. I haven't read the whole... book, but I but I pay keen attention to things around me. I always yeah. have. There is uh, there's actually a literature on parking. So the bottom line is, you go into parking lot, park the first place you see. Period. Do not drive around trying to find the perfect parking spot. And, and it's faster if you do. They've actually done they've actually done modeling on this, mathematical modeling. It's almost always faster. Take the first place you see. It's less stress. And, and it's really also interesting study in psychology because it plays out exactly like you described it. People get a good parking spot, and it's almost like gambling, right? They, they, they remember that last parking spot, and it's like they've won the parking you know, competition. <laughs> They're the best parker. And, and it stresses people out. They've done studies, and especially, especially in big cities, but I think it also applies for you know places like Edmonton. They've done studies that people waste hours trying to find a parking spot. Like, <laughs> and you 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 over over a, a year, it's like it's like days <laughs> looking for a parking spot. So take the first place you see, even if it's like blocks away from where you're gonna go. And park the damn car. <laughs> I'm trying to. I'm. I'm trying to. What do you want to say, Sam? I, I was gonna say, like, I. I personally just believe in that philosophy so much. I remember so vividly being a kid, and my mom would park far away from something, and she'd always just look at us and say, "You have legs." 
And and that's just been like my mantra ever since. Like your parking space doesn't matter. Just get out of your car and walk. <laughs> that's you don't a... get an award for the best parking spot. No, you, you don't. don't. Nobody cares. <laughs> well, I'm not sure that nobody cares. Uh, by the way, Tim, that's uh, Sam Brooks, the very talented producer of this show. And as you two are talking, I'm scrambling. I'm I'm, I'm trying to go back in my. I, I have too many photos on my phone. It's it's way too much. But I wanted to show you a photo from the other day. Uh, it, it doesn't matter. I pulled up to. West Edmonton Mall. I had to pop in. This was probably three weeks ago, and I, and I had to I had to pop in for something. And and the very first available stall closest to the door was available, and I took it. I scanned for a, for a handicapped parking sign. There was none. I couldn't believe my eyes. I, I looked to see if there was a hole in the concrete. If someone had stolen the handicapped parking sign, but they hadn't. It was it, it, it was a spot for anybody to park, and I took it, and I had the first. And my inclination, Tim, was to snap a photo of it, to post, <laughs> to post my victory for that day of finding that parking spot. Until I thought about it for about ten seconds and realized nobody cares but me about this. But I cared very much that day. And it's a great example. And believe it or not, Ryan, people have studied this. <laughs> And people have that response and they remember it. And so the next time you drive around looking for that same thing, cause you want to get that, that same feeling. There's that great Seinfeld episode where George, you know, park gets the great parking spot. Yeah. You know, I riff on that. <laughs> we all know <laughs> it. Yeah. In the book. You know, parking's like sex. I can't remember the exact quote, but, but uh, yeah, it's, 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 uh, it's a great topic that really highlights, uh, you know, the little things that happen in our day that stress us out. And, and there are studies, as I said, that show that this really freaks people out. But I talk, I even talk about toilet seats up or down. Oh, geez. Down. Well, okay. Well, I'm, you know what? It's funny. I, I have to, I, I have to be acknowledge something. I keep watching the clock. Uh, and I, I will note that, that Tim has something coming up at 10. Um, but I'm, I'm used to like another show starting at 10, but that's not the case here. Uh, Tim, if we ran you up right up to the clock, I mean, is, is that okay with you? If you have to bolt now, we can pull shoot right now. Can, can you, give, me, can, give me two minutes so I can I'll give you two minutes other, so you can make yourself <laughs> other, available. Uh, Sam, Sam why, why don't we quickly uh, tell our friends that are, are tuning in right now that are watching live that are uh, streaming this audio live why we're so excited to be partnering up with Dairy Queen and then we'll get right back uh, to Tim Caulfield because if I leave our audience hanging on toilet seats up or down I know that you at home will never forgive me so obviously we're going to get back to to Tim Caulfield on that in just a moment but first we are so grateful to have the independent local owners of Dairy Queen in Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park supporting us in this journey as we get real talk off the air and start to soar baby they reached out like i told you yesterday uh, mark cardinal one of the owners their local guy does a ton for charity in his community and uh and, and we're gonna be introducing you by the way to these business owners by name so you get to know them all because i know that you're gonna want to support them the ones that are supporting this and making this happen mark reaches out he says you think dairy queen might be a good fit for the show i said are you, are you serious uh, the only thing that we have to do, uh, Sam, is get a freezer in here so we can uh, pack it chock full of dilly bars. Yeah, we, we thought about computers and microphones and, you know, the things that matter. But, like, why why is there no ice cream? They're well, paying us an ice cream, right? Our, That's how this works? Our priorities are evident. We got microphones, computers, then we got our beer and wine fridge. And next will be the dilly bar freezer. And it'll be stocked thanks to our friends at Dairy Queen in Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. If you're looking to pick up through a drive through today or order from your favorite delivery app, 
Why not make it from a Dairy Queen location in Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park? Thanks for that, Sam. Let's get back to Timothy Caulfield. His book is coming out December 1st. You don't have anything, uh, Timothy, you, any sort of caveat you need to offer here or something with regards to, to, to par- partnerships, uh, marriages, uh, relationships, where uh, toilet seat placement I know can be somewhat contentious. I get the feeling you're about to give us relationship advice and one half of a relationship is about to is about to give the told you so to the other half. So do we need to brace for anything here? I think you need to brace brace a little bit. And my house is, if you include the cats, if you include the cats, it's four boys uh, and four girls. So this matters. This matters deeply, this topic. You know, toilet seat up, toilet seat down. And, you know, I cover a lot of controversial topics in the book. You know, some really, you know, ser- some serious weighty issues. And Ryan, I don't think anything got as much... Uh, attention as this topic and people were furious about it so they've actually done again mathematical modeling on is it better to leave the seat up or the seat down and if you believe the math it's it's one touch philosophy so if you go in and you're a boy and you put it up uh then you leave it up I, I <laughs> the girl or female or women would put it down but there's a lot of things going on now because now more people are sitting more men are sitting down ryan gosling apparently is a sitter <laughs> okay yeah uh and so things are changing but but covid covid has actually actually changed this because now you put the you put the toilet top down, seat down, right? So not only the seat down, you put the top down before you flush because you want to avoid that toilet plume that might be infectious. <laughs> and Ryan, that means, uh, wait for it, that means that we win because now everyone has to put, you know, everyone's touching now and uh, because someone's got to lift the, the lid to do whatever they're going to do. Did you say toilet plume? Yes, it's, toilet plume. It's, it sounds like a, a metal band, first of all, toilet plume, opening for five finger Solid death name. punch. But yeah, I, I don't I, I just envy you. We live in a heritage. Our house is 107 years old or so. And I, I just wish that my toilet could flush hard enough to make a plume. Uh, I don't have that luxury. And then we have Don Nault listening in, who's who's very right. And and Don says, I mean, Don's grateful. He's using the hashtag uh, Real Talk RJ, and 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 he he's grateful. I think Tim that we're taking on the issues that matter. And and he says, okay, as long as you're talking about toilet seats up or down, uh, why not toilet paper? The he says the waterfall style, right? Or or off the yeah. bottom. Um, you know, I, I've been married uh, to my beautiful bride, Carrie, for 11 years now, and I'm surprised. She she rolls it down the bottom, right? Like it drops. So she does it the wrong way is what I'm saying. And what I'm surprised is that we've never had a dust up. I change it every single time to the proper way, to the waterfall style. Have you, have you made a, a consensus decision in your household about toilet paper placement? So, so I actually wanted to have this, this in my, in my book and the editor said, you can't do every topic. That was one of my, I wanted to do, but I didn't, I didn't tackle in our house. It's chaos. It's chaos. There's toilet on the paper on the floor. (laughs) So uh, uh, we, we aren't organized enough to have that problem. Okay. Uh, 
Timothy, we respect your time so much. We've already taken you into overtime, and I, I don't want to stress you up and run you up against the clock for your 10 o'clock. Relax, damn it. A user's guide to the age of anxiety will be available December 1st. You can get it anywhere you get great books. And, of course, a user's guide to cheating death on Netflix. I encourage you to check it out. Timothy Caulfield, one of my absolute favorite people in the world. There's a reason why we asked you to be here with us in the first week of the show. We, we sure appreciate your insight and your availability. Thank you for this. You're too kind, Ryan, and, and really uh, appreciate the opportunity. Hey, and congrats. Congrats on the new show. Thank you very much. It's, it's amazing to be talking to you again. That's Timothy Caulfield. Uh, give him a follow on Twitter at Caulfield Tim. He's a Canada Research Chair in Health Law and Policy at the University of Alberta. Again, relax, damn it, a user's guide to the age of anxiety uh, available December 1st. Sam Brooks is the intrepid producer of this program. Uh, we're three minutes away from 10 o'clock, but I don't care. I'm going to extend the show for a few minutes because there's a couple of more things we want to talk about. But you looked, you, you were almost uh, like too excited uh, you 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 were eerily enthusiastic when the conversation evolved to toilet paper placement. Is th is this something in in your household that 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 is a, a subject of conversation or? Uh, it's it's not by any means a debate in our household. I, I noticed when Kelly and I started living together that that um, exactly parallel to you and Carrie, uh, she she would put it on going the going the reverse direction, and I would put it on the the front forward waterfall direction. And um, I have to actually credit uh, music journalist Alan Cross for making me aware of this. He mentioned on his show one day that uh, he, for whatever reason, had to look up the original patent for toilet paper, and the diagram shows it coming off the front. So the original oh, patent. Oh, the user guide. Yeah. The user guide to toilet paper, which I'm not sure anybody would really want to. I mean, are there pictures? There's pictures in the. Anyway, I digress. Um, we've one of one of the things about working in a, in a creative space is is uh, this is I I think is is going to be the the debut of what has the potential to be a segment here on the show called Hey Neighbor, and uh, we're. we're I think what we're going to have to do is get a sexy opener. We're going to have to get some better music. Uh, but why don't we say, hey, neighbor, this morning to the principal, the founder of the Adams Agency and an Edify Edmonton top 40 under 40, Jenny Woo! Adams. Hi. How are you? I'm good. How are you? First of all, can we talk about, I mean, I know that we're separated here by yeah. plexiglass and I appreciated you using the hand sanitizer when you walked I in. Did. That's per protocol. Uh, but I noticed your mask is kind of, you've, you've integrated some style into it. What's well, the deal with this the... this is a mains chains. My good friend's daughters, Harper and Farah, make these chains. They're very well priced and so they just add a little wow. pizzazz to your mask so you can roll with the mask mm -hmm. almost as a fashion mm -hmm. accessory and then when you own oh, it's got the nice detailed <laughs> stitching there very well done <laughs> uh why did you poke your head in uh, did you want to talk about toilet paper or toilet seats up and down you know I, it's just because i'm your noisy next door neighbor or yes. nosy sorry not noisy nosy both so, is okay <laughs> you guys are actually surprisingly quite we're the noisy ones on this that's floor. because like, we're, we're listening we're well to the show next that. door yeah, yeah I'm we like, appreciate you tuning v, in are you doing any work at all like hello she's just busy watching you on YouTube when I just come stand at the door at like a, a total at a girl V. We're very happy to have you next door, and not just because we get to meet uh, all of your guests and talk to them in the hallway as they're walking yeah, out, that's but right. because this is really fun. So. So happy for you. Okay, but toilet seats, toilet paper. You know I mean, I mean, thanks for the accolades and yeah, thanks yeah, for yeah, the yeah. encouragement. Um, you know, I don't really have an opinion, but I do respect the fact that you went back and looked at the patent. 
to figure out. Yeah. I mean, I, I respect the dedication I, to being right. I did not look at the patent. This was, like I said before, and I'll give full credit. He's already walking on, it back. Uh, no, 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 no. He's no, walking no. it was, back already. This was mentioned on, uh, on, on Allison Cross's podcast, the uh, ongoing history of, of new music, which sounds like a weird thing to be talking about toilet paper on, but he did make a slight reference to... Alan Cross is a legend. He really is. We're going to get him on the show. That'd As a matter of fact, maybe we'll get him in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, he's, sure. he's, uh, he's, he's a wonderful dude. Hey, uh, thanks for joining us for the debut of Hey Neighbor <laughs> with Jenny Adams. Uh, this is kind of a... a this is going to be fun. This is going to be kind of fun. Yeah. Um, okay, I'm going to let you get back to what you need thank to you. do, and I want to get to what I need to do, which is to th- say thank you to uh, another valued sponsor here of the program that uh, made it uh, very clear right out of the gates that they wanted to join us on this journey, and it got us excited um, because we're kicking off this show, as you know, in a new home, basically, right? A new studio. And so we've got the plexiglass ordered, and we got our digital thermometer, and we've got the hand sanitizer everywhere, and the disinfectant wipes, and and Sam is spraying down our microphones with this thing that made me gag yesterday, and, and, I, and I think it's working. But what we realized we needed right after that was better ventilation in here, so... We've gone to the team at Clean Air Club because clean air is is their business and, it, and it's what they're doing. And so one of the things that we realized we might be taking for granted is the clean air that we breathe. Is it that clean? And so this is a local business. If you haven't heard of Clean Air Club, they're serving the Edmonton region. Uh, a big part of what they're trying to get in front of you is the idea around changing your furnace filter. When's the last time you did it? I mean, some of you were probably really diligent. Some of you were going, there's a filter in my furnace. Log into cleanairclub.ca. You don't need to keep track of it. That's the best part of this. If you're like me, like you want to see my to-do list for today, this is it. It's chicken scratch, right? This is my to-do list for today. This was yesterday's, right? This was the day before. Things get lost. Changing furnace filters? Leave it to the team at cleanairclub.ca and find out more about what they can do for you. Uh, Sam Brooks, uh, we're, we're into overtime now, but it doesn't matter to me if you want to hang out for a few extra minutes because I think that a lot of people are talking today about what yeah, we're going to hear with from that, sure. uh, Alberta's Premier. Jason Kenney, is, uh, we're expecting going to make an announcement. Now, what that's going to be, we don't know. Alberta still uh, doesn't have a mandatory mask policy in place province-wide, and some, including our lead-off guest this morning, Dr. Darren Marklin, talking about a shutdown, quite frankly, to try to get these COVID numbers under control. Yeah, I man, I have I have a lot to say here. I, one thing that just like stood out to me when Dr. Marklin was talking is he talked about. Uh, I, I think both of you guys re- referenced the idea of our optimistic projection for ICU patients, and and I just had to like mentally take a step back there and say like, in what universe do we have to have an optimistic projection for ICU patients like that? is just a soundbite that tells me how bad this is. Uh, this, uh, we, we're, we're going to want to, I, I know, obviously talk to politicians as, mm-hmm. as part of what this show, and we're going to have those those conversations. But, but of course, also sometimes we have the luxury of just dropping in, for example, in the Alberta legislature and, and seeing what the government is saying and seeing what the official opposition is saying. If you want to maybe tee up uh, MLA Janice Irwin's statement yesterday. So we're going to be hearing from uh, the governing party today, the United Conservatives, Premier Jason Kenney. And of course, we'll have full coverage of that uh, as part of tomorrow's show. Uh, the official opposition has been pushing the government, as as you might imagine, to take the steps that they would deem uh, to be necessary or obvious. And, and this is what the MLA out of Edmonton, Janice Irwin, had to say just yesterday. Let's take a look. 
We must be obsessively focused on economic growth. Those were the words of the Premier on November 2nd. The economy is important, of course, but a narrow obsession with the economy above all else will have and is having the opposite effect. What this Premier has forgotten is that an economy doesn't work without people. The economy is people. A healthy economy doesn't work without healthy people who can contribute to it. We cannot expect Alberta's economy to get better as COVID removes more people from it. This government has found themselves choosing between the economy and people's health. That's a false dichotomy and a dangerous one. And as a result of this obsession, we're in an unbelievable mess. Our health care system has never been more stretched. Health care workers have never been more stressed. Teachers and educational workers are worried sick. Local businesses are suffering due to declining customers because, rightly so, sick or isolating people aren't shopping in the numbers that they were before. Those on the front lines, mental health workers, social workers, those working in retail, in grocery, in childcare, they don't know how much more they can take. Let's be clear, all of this lies squarely at the feet of the UCP and their lack of leadership and communication. And it shouldn't have to be said, but people are dying. I said early on in this pandemic that we'd be in a great place if we could look back and say, you know what, we did too much, but we saved lives so it was worth it. Sadly, we're at a place already that we'll be lucky if we can look back and say anything was done. And this will be on the Premier. History will not be kind to him. And while it's clear the moral argument means nothing to the UCP, it seems the economic argument means nothing either to a government that somehow couldn't account for $1.6 billion last year and thought that giving away $4.7 billion to wealthy corporations would magically trickle down. Premier, you've lost the plot. It's time. Time to come out of hiding. Time to step up. Time for a new obsession. One that values people over profits. So that was the MLA out of Edmonton Highlands Norwood uh, throwing hand grenades uh, at the government yesterday. And we're going to expect to hear from Premier Jason Kenney today. That was Janice Irwin. Always curious to know your thoughts on what you're hearing. That's the stories we're talking about and, and maybe the stories you're not hearing here on the show. We want this to be a conversation that involves you each and every day and the way that you can reach us to let us know how you feel about the issues that we're focusing or what you'd like to see us tackling. You can send us an email anytime talk at ryanjesperson.com you can also tweet at me at ryan jesperson uh, you can find sam brooks on twitter as well and i know that sam you've had a lot of people asking about the technical angles of this you can use the hashtag real talk rj and we're wide open to suggestions on what you'd like to see as we continue to build this show we cannot build this show without the support of partners like Todd's Mechanical, and I told you about this beauty yesterday. Uh, I talked to Todd the first time on the phone. I said, tell me a little bit about you. We wanted to know if this would be a good fit, and I realized right away that it was. Uh, Todd, after a career in the oil field, decided it was time to reinvent himself, and so he moved back into the city permanently full-time and started building what is now, I think, widely recognized as Edmonton's best plumbers. Just look at their online ratings. They speak for themselves. That's customer testimonials. That's not what I'm saying. That's what people that hired Todd are saying. Now's the time of year you want to make sure that you're going to be warm, dry, and that your furnace is going to work when you need it most. Don't wait for it to conk out at minus 30. If you need the best plumbing service in Edmonton, call Todd's Mechanical at 780-499-7598. And if you missed that, if you're watching us live or listening to us live on Mixler right now and that 
sort of skip past you that phone number. All you need to do, you go to ryanjesperson.com, you click on the sponsors link, and you'll find all of our sponsors listed there. We encourage you to support them. As we sign off today, uh, wanted to give a shout out to a guy uh, that, quite frankly, is absolutely remarkable. And uh, this is uh, the story of a life beautifully lived, but tragically ended too soon. This is Pat Quinn. Pat died just a short time ago at the age of 37 years of age. Just a young guy. But he'll be, I think, most remembered, at least by those outside of his inner circle, as the co-founder of the wildly successful ALS Ice Bucket Challenge. Do you remember this? This is me in a previous professional life on the set of Breakfast Television back in the day. And those are a couple of uh, women very close to me in my life. That's my wife, Carrie, on the left, and that's Kate Gallagher, uh, of KMG events uh, in Edmonton. Kate sponsored my Ice Bucket Challenge fundraiser. Uh, we created, by the way, Sam, huge technical problems for the engineers at Breakfast Television. It didn't occur to me that I'd need to remove my lavalier mic uh, or that we'd need to maybe move some of the yeah, equipment out looking, of the way. Looking, looking at a soundstage with yeah. that much water on it just yeah. makes it my was skin a, crawl. It was an absolutely uh, idiotic decision on my part to dump that much water on the floor. But in all seriousness, it helped us raise a little bit of money. And what this guy, Pat Quinn, did was basically put an idea in front of people that motivated them to the point that they donated in one year. And that was part of the beauty. That was part of the magic of the ALS Ice Bucket Challenges. They didn't try to recreate it the next year. It happened once. It exploded. And they raised more than $200 million U.S. dollars for research around Lou Gehrig's disease, around ALS. So Pat Quinn at 37 years of age, leaving this life, but what a legacy. Thank you for being a part of day two here on Real Talk. Conversations with Dr. Darren Markland, Timothy Caulfield, and again, I keep saying it because I couldn't be more excited. We're just getting started. Tomorrow, another show at 8.30 Mountain Time live. If you know somebody that would like to hear the interviews, they may have missed them. The podcast will be up shortly. Thanks for being a part of this, and we'll talk to you again soon. Gonna